chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to get there on your phone or if you have your paper Bible with you, I'll just give you a minute to do that. Hebrews chapter 2. We are in the second week of a series. Oh, by the way, I heard some great reports of Pastor Terry Burns last Sunday. How many of you enjoyed him? I so appreciate his heart for the Lord and, um, and his kind of straightforward way of, of just getting to the truth. And he's spoken here before. Uh, Carrie Lynn and I and the, and the kids were off on a week of holidays. We spent some time at Ottawa Valley Camp. Finally, we were able to take in family camp there and um, just feeling uh, refreshed from that. But I'm so thankful that uh, Pastor Terry was here to, to preach to us. But two weeks ago, Pastor Yeshua started us off on our summer, summer series. And every summer, we take a book of the Bible and we just kind of walk through it. Now, in eight weeks, you're just going to scratch the surface of an entire book of the Bible. And so in eight weeks, we're just scratching the surface of the book of Hebrews. But I encourage you to just make that part of your devotional reading over these next eight weeks. And you may read it through three or four or five times along with your other um, Bible readings. But take some time to really immerse yourself in this book of Hebrews. Because that's where we're camping as a church family for the next eight weeks or so. And I know that we'll be blessed as we just take time to walk through the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> we, uh, we were out on the lake <clears throat> um, in our boat a couple of weeks ago, and you all know what this is, right? This is an anchor, um, and we love to get out on the water, and so as often as we can, it's an activity that we can do as a family. The kids love it, and so on this particular day, we put in at White Lake, which is our custom, and we, we like to just boat up the, uh, the lake for a while, and uh, usually a couple of kids are on, on the tube behind us, and then we'll find somewhere, you know, three-quarters of the way up the lake. We have a few spots that we found that are kind of sheltered from the wind. And we love to put down anchor and then just go for a swim. And so this is one of, one of the things that just really refreshes us as a family. So on this particular day, this is the anchor that we use in our boat. We had found a spot. We had decided, okay, we're going to take a little swim. And we had thrown the anchor overboard. And, um, and it did its work, right? An anchor is designed to, to, to find some, some purchase on the, on the floor of the lake, and then you secure your boat to it, and you're not going anywhere. You don't have to worry. You're not going to drift. You're just going to be there in that same spot. Uh, but suddenly we realized our boat was beginning to drift, and someone looked up and saw the end of the rope disappearing into the water, <laughs> And what we hadn't done very well is we had not secured our, ourselves to the anchor. Now, the anchor was doing its job still. It was still there, anchored to the, the, the bottom of the, of the lake, but we were drifting. And so fortunately, we were in some fairly shallow water, and Isaac dove down, and he found the end of this rope, and we re-secured our boat to that anchor, and then we were able to, um, to just be, uh, enjoy that without drifting. But our series is entitled Anchored. And, and the, kind of the anchor verse of this whole book of Hebrews, I think we can find it in Hebrews chapter 6, verses, verse 19. And the writer of Hebrews is talking about the anchor of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, what he has purchased for us, and how if we are to stay anchored, then we need to secure our lives to Jesus. And Jesus is a firm and a secure anchor for our souls. Let's read it. He says, we have this hope, 
He's been talking about Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. But the problem is if we don't secure ourselves to the anchor, the anchor may be secure, but we're not, we're not, we're not secure to that anchor, and so we begin to drift. And if there's a title that I would put on our thoughts this morning, it would be this, just two words, drift happens. Drift happens. If we don't secure our lives to Jesus, if we're not diligent in making sure that we are secured to the anchor who is Jesus, then we begin to drift in our lives. An anchor will keep us anchored through storms. It will keep us from drifting into rocks and, and, and getting into danger. And so the scripture of uh, the writer of Hebrews, this entire uh, book kind of revolves around that thought that Jesus is so much better than anything that we could have known before. And Pastor Yeshua opened it off two weeks ago, did a great job of really saying, listen, if we're going to understand the book of Hebrews, we need to understand the Old Testament. We need to understand that there was a group of people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to, and they were tempted to remove themselves from the anchor of Jesus and go back to an old anchor that they thought was still usable, that they could anchor their lives to, and that was the law. That was the old covenant. That was the old, the old covenant of the sacrificial system. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, hang on a minute. No, God has provided for us a new anchor, and his name is Jesus. And don't be tempted to go back to your old way of life. Don't be tempted to anchor yourself to something that will not secure your life the way Jesus can. And so the writer of Hebrews keeps coming back to what Jesus has done and how he is the anchor for our souls. I love the fact that he doesn't say that Jesus is the anchor for our lives, and he is, but he uses this word soul. If you want your soul to be anchored in life, if you want to know peace and hope and joy, then Jesus is the one that you secure your life to. He is a firm and secure anchor. And this is what the the writer of Hebrews just keeps bringing us back to. However, those Hebrews, as I mentioned, were the, the, the readers of Hebrews were, were considering anchoring to something other than Jesus. And so in chapters 1 and in 2 and 3 of Hebrews, we find some warnings. And then chapter 2 begins with a warning that the writer of Hebrews is warning those who would be reading this, uh, this letter. And he just, he just begins by warning them about a few things. How many of you know that warnings are not a bad thing? However, sometimes in our pride and in our self-sufficiency, we don't appreciate warnings, right? And sometimes when someone warns us, we think to ourselves, well, who are you to tell me what I should be looking out for? Who are you to be cautioning me about that subject? Look at your life. <laughs> I can do this on my own. Sometimes we don't always welcome warnings. And yet, the writer of Hebrews knew that there needed to be some warnings that his readers and that us today would benefit from. Because this is what a warning will do. A warning will keep you and I from experiencing something worse than if you weren't warned in the first place. Isn't that true? That's, that is why there are warnings in our life. We find warnings in many different areas of our everyday life. Take, for instance, your automobile. 
there would be some lights on the dash of your car that when one of them pops on, it's a warning light. And sometimes you'll be driving along and you'll see a light pop on. And, and here's, here's the intent of that light. <laughs> it's to say something's not quite right. Please go and get your vehicle checked out. And if you choose to ignore that warning light, then there probably is going to be a heavy expense on your wallet down the road. So if we choose to heed warnings, what it does is it just keeps us from some pain that we could avoid in life. So warnings are not a bad thing. They're good things. Uh, thinking about the boating world and, and how if you're on a lake and you see a buoy out in the middle of the lake, what that is, is it's a warning. It's saying there are some rocks that are close enough to the surface of this lake that if you run into them, it's going to ruin your day. And when I see those warning buoys, I'm always so thankful because someone has taken the time to warn us about a potential danger. And so I can go about my day enjoying my time on the water, knowing that someone cared enough to swim down and attach a rope to that rock so that I would not run into it. And I've also been in situations, actually as recently as this week, when I was boating on a lake that I was unfamiliar with, and all of a sudden I encountered some rocks and I had to turn the boat motor off. And, I th and it was in a place you didn't expect that there would be rocks in a wide open part of the lake. And I thought to myself, why has no one put a buoy here? Why is there no warning? Why would, why would you not warn someone about potential danger? And so warnings are necessary. And sometimes we bristle against them. And sometimes we have to learn things the hard way. The writer of Hebrews is warning us about some things. Because his desire is that we would avoid some pain in our lives. You know, we live in a culture <clears throat> whose message to us is uh, so focused on self that, um, that our culture tells us to put self ahead of everything else. Put self, it's my desires, it's my wants, it's my choice, it's my rights. And so in this me-focused culture, warnings are often not appreciated. Because the underlying thread through our culture is, it's your life, you do what you want with it. No one should really tell you or warn you about your choices because you get to choose. It's about you. It's all about you. It's about self-help. It's about self-actualization. It's about your best life now. It's not about anything other than that. And really, that is the core message that we find in our culture. And so in that type of thinking, warnings are often not appreciated. Some of you would know that there's a movie called Unplanned that came out. I believe it started on Friday in, in, the, um, in the cinemas. And it's a story of a woman named Abby Johnson, and she had a certain belief system, and and when uh, she began to work for this organization called Planned Parenthood, and she really thought she was doing good. She thought she was helping women to understand their rights and that they had a choice, and they do. Uh, but she was, she was thinking she was contributing to society, and she began to move up the ranks of this organization very quickly until the point where she became the, became the director of a clinic, of an abortion clinic. And one day, she witnessed an abortion, and it changed everything for her. And she realized, I am on, I'm on the wrong track, and I need to begin to tell women the truth of what an abortion does. And so this movie is about her life. 
And there has been a big controversy about whether or not uh, movie theaters will show this. And in fact, there's two movie theaters in Canada where the owners of those theaters have received death threats because they have said that they will show this movie. I listened to an interview of this lady, Abby, and, and it's, it's the story based on her, her life. And her heart is this. Her heart is that for women who have had an abortion, that they would know that there is a God that is forgiving and that loves them and that they can find healing from the pain, the emotional pain of having an abortion. And it's a very different message from what our culture sends. And the other part that she's hoping that when people hear her story, she's hoping that it will serve as a warning of sorts, that people would avoid the pain that comes from going down that path and making that choice. And there are people who are willing to, um, willing to threaten to kill cinema owners because they want to show Abby's story. Warnings are not always popular in our culture. I want to say this morning that if you are here and you have had an abortion at some point, God loves you and we love you and you need to know that God forgives and that there is hope and that there is healing and that there is wholeness. No matter what kinds of mistakes we've made or choices that we've made, when we come to God, this is what he offers us. And that's the heart behind Abby's story. But it also serves as a warning. Please know, she's trying to get the message out, please know that these choices have consequences. And it's a message that our culture does not want to hear because it's about me. And so warnings are necessary. And when God sends a message of warning our way, it is for our own good. It is that we would know God's path for our lives. It is that we would, so that we would heed that warning and avoid shipwrecking our lives in some way. And that's God's heart. God's desire is for us to know uh, life and, and abundant life and to avoid the pain of sinful choices. You know, too often the messages that we hear from pulpits in our, in our modern, modern church context, they're focused on making us feel better. But how many of you know that if your focus is entirely on making people feel better, then you're not going to actually get to the places where they will become better because they actually hear the truth of what God says. You can make people feel good, but that's not going to help them to get better. And so instead of making people feel better, I think perhaps we should help people to get better. <laughs> and how many of you know that sometimes to get better, you, you feel worse? Right, when we're confronted with our own sinfulness, it's not a happy place all the time. But God's truth is there so that as we look into it, it's like that mirror. As we begin to see God's truth and as we see our reflection clearly, and when God begins to do a work in our lives, it, we become better. And what I mean by better is this. I mean we begin to walk in greater freedom. We begin to walk in a place of greater wholeness. We begin to walk in a place of greater intimacy with God. And that's what God intends for our lives. And so every once in a while, there's a warning that's necessary. And the heart behind that warning is that we would walk in wholeness and freedom. We would experience the life of God in us. And so the writer of Hebrews understands this, and he begins with the warning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. I'll just read it for you. I think we also have it uh, on the screen. I'll read a little bit further down to verse um, the beginning of verse 5. 
We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels, he's talking about the law that was given to Moses, was binding in every violation and disobedience, received its just punishment, how then shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Speaking of what Jesus has done. If we choose to walk away from God and walk away from what Jesus offers us, then there, there's consequence for, for living that path uh, of walking from God. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, in part of this, the last part of what I just read, the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember what Jesus has done for you, and listen, this has been confirmed. There, you're not just putting blind faith in something. You're not putting blind faith in some theory that some man has cooked up, but, but remember how when, when the gospel began to be preached to us, when Jesus was here, when those who heard Jesus shared the message of the gospel to us, there were signs that confirmed that this was God at work. There were miracles. We saw people set free. We've heard about how Jesus healed the lepers and, and delivered people from demonic oppression, and we've, we've seen lives transformed. So remember that you're anchoring to something that is sure and that is firm. Not only that, we've experienced the gifts of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is now active in our lives. And as we observe the manifestation of God's Spirit at work in us, we can know that we've anchored to something that is real and that is true. It's not, this is not mythology. And he's trying to point people back to the gospel, to the kingdom of God and what Jesus has brought to us. But before he gets there, he, he, he gives a warning of sorts. And his warning is against this thing called drift that we all struggle with at times. And he says, let's pay more careful attention to what we have heard to the gospel so that we do not drift away. And so the warning is this warning against drifting. Other translations say, do not neglect what you have heard. Don't neglect it lest you begin to drift in your walk with God. And so drift, we learn from this first verse, drift occurs in part through neglect. Don't neglect, he said, don't neglect what you know of God. Don't neglect your relationship with God because neglect will lead to drift. We come back to this realization and and it's a fact that we see in our relationships that any relationship will suffer if it is neglected. You can't have an intimate, wholesome, life-giving relationship with someone if that relationship is, re- is, is neglected, it will begin, you will begin to drift apart from that person. You've probably heard this many times that uh, one of the parenting uh, tips or, or uh, encouragement that we receive as parents is this, that in your parenting years, those 15 or 20 years that just seem so busy and sometimes seem to be going by very slowly and sometimes very quickly, what is the advice that you've heard for the husband and the wife in those parenting years? You've probably heard it. You could, you could say it for me. It is this. Do not neglect your relationship as a husband and as a wife. We can become so focused on investing into our children, and rightly so. 
right? Don't you, don't you want to see them thrive? You want to invest in them, and it's about nurturing them, and it's about pouring into their lives for the short years that you have with them in your home. But the thought is this, that if, as a husband and wife, if you begin to neglect your relationship with one another, then when you get to the empty nest stage of your life, you sit there looking at each other and you realize we've drifted apart. The intimacy that we once knew is no longer there. The love that we had for one another has grown cold a little bit. And we, we really don't know each other. We haven't shared life together in an intimate way in these past 15 or 20 years. And sometimes, unfortunately, marriages don't survive at that point. And the point is this, that drift happens through neglect. If you choose to neglect a relationship, there's no way it's going to grow. And so we take that and we take this warning from the writer of Hebrews and he says, listen, don't neglect. Don't neglect your such a great a salvation. Don't neglect what, what you know of Jesus. Continue to press in and pursue God passionately. Otherwise, neglect will leave to drift. I don't know any couple that would say, one of our goals is when we get to the empty nest um, stage of our lives that the, is that we would look at each other and say, wow, I don't even know you anymore. You never intend to drift. Right? Drift happens subtly. It happens sometimes in a way that, that we don't even realize we're drifting. And so no one intentionally says, I'm going to drift. You don't intentionally say, I'm going to drift from God. But it begins to happen if we, if we neglect our relationship with God. We never set out to end up in that place in our relationship. And so the writer of Hebrews says, pay careful attention so that you won't drift. Pay careful attention. Basically, what he calls us to in this first verse of chapter 2, he calls us to a place of commitment and of responsibility. You see, as you mature in your faith, what you will begin to learn is that you have to take responsibility for your own growth and for your own maturity. If you were to have a story of God's faithfulness to you and stories of God's provision for you and stories of, of an intimacy with God, then as you mature, you realize, that's really up to me. It starts with me. And instead of relying on the Sunday morning message to be your only means of spiritual feeding, you begin to feed yourself. You begin to pay attention to your relationship with God. You begin to realize, listen, I, I can't just rely on a Sunday morning experience. I can't rely, uh, I can't kind of, you know, piggy tail on my parents or on, on, on that pillar of the church that I look up to, and we are encouraged by those people. But, but the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, each one of us needs to pay attention. And have you realized that, that, that you will only grow in proportion uh, to the investment that you put into uh, developing intimacy with God? And sometimes we can think, well, you know, evangelism, sharing, sharing uh, the gospel, is that's the church's job. But as you mature, you begin to realize, no, that's my role, that I need to share the hope that I have, that as we mature, we begin to live out what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and we begin to pay careful attention to our walk of faith with God because we take responsibility. We begin to commit to it ourselves, and in that place, we begin to grow. We begin to mature. 
There's parts of scripture where it talks about, you know, we, we move beyond the stage of milk and we begin to mature and grow in the deep things of God. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you never get past relying on Sunday morning or relying on your parents or relying on that person that you look up to, then you won't grow, you won't mature. And in fact, there's a, there's a good likelihood that you'll begin to drift. And so this warning is to allow us to not uh, drift in our faith. And I want to encourage you this morning I'm going to ask you that question. Do you feel like you're drifting? Are you relying on others? Are you piggybacking on the faith of others? Or have you decided to not neglect, but to pay attention to your relationship with God and to say, I'm going to press in. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to begin to learn what it means to walk an intimate walk with my Heavenly Father. I'm going to do the tough work of being obedient when I hear his voice. I'm going to take steps of faith. I'm going to commit to God above everything else and begin to to take responsibility for my walk with him. And so, church, we, we pay careful attention to our relationship with God, and we begin to nurture it, and we cultivate it, and we invest in it, and we begin to grow. You know, drift and, and neglect happen so easily, and And we've seen it time and time again where someone starts out passionate for Jesus. And they're so, they're journeying with their church family and they're they're connected in and they're growing and they're maturing. But slowly over time, we've witnessed how drift begins to happen and we've seen it in our lives as well. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to some people who are beginning to drift from their church community. They were on the fringes of their community. They, they had begun to stop gathering together with their church family. And he says later on in Hebrews, don't neglect gathering together because drift happens subtly and it also happens in isolation. And we've seen where someone begins to drift and they're on the fringe, fringes of their church community and then all of a sudden you just don't see them anymore. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, pay attention. Don't allow that to happen. So we pay attention, we pay attention, the writer of Hebrews says. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says something similar. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Be anchored in your faith. Stand firm, don't drift away from the faith that you have in God. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And Peter, again, is writing to a group of people who are beginning to realize, I am being persecuted because I am following Jesus. And I am tempted to find a new anchor. Because this is getting too difficult. I'm paying a price for following Jesus. And Peter says, you know, the enemy will work any, he'll work overtime to get you to begin to be tempted to walk away from God. And he says, stand firm. Resist the enemy. Don't allow that to begin to happen in your life. And so we need to be self-controlled and alert, and we need to stand firm even in the midst of difficult circumstances where we may be tempted to begin to drift. We stand firm in those times. 1 Timothy 6.10 Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, for the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, putting our hope in money, in material things, 
It's the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. They've begun to drift. And in doing so, they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. And Paul is just saying to young Timothy, there will be people who are walking in the faith, who are anchored to Jesus, who begin to get their eyes on other things, and in this case, they begin to put their hope in money, and what they begin to do, and they don't set out to do this, but you begin to anchor your soul to to financial uh, gain. You begin to anchor your soul to material things, and you begin to subtly drift to the point where you walk away from God and you have now found a new anchor and what you realize is that is not an anchor at all. In fact, he says, in doing that, they pierce themselves with many sorrows. And at the end of that rope uh, where we put our, our hope in anything else, we realize it's not secure, it's not firm. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, encourage people to, to be anchored in Jesus. Because we can wander from our faith if we begin to anchor our hope and our trust in anything other than Jesus. Are you anchored to Jesus today? Not only at that moment where you confessed him as Lord and when you asked for forgiveness and you began that new walk with him, but are you anchored in Jesus today or have you begun to drift? Are there other things that you're beginning to anchor your soul to? And we're just reminded today that there are sorrows from the re- that result from anchoring our lives in anything other than Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews asks his readers to evaluate their faith and to remember all that Jesus has done for them. Can I just ask us to do the same today as we journey through the book of Hebrews, that we would evaluate our faith and that over and over again as the writer of Hebrews takes us to Jesus, he reminds us that Jesus is better That word better is used 13 times in the book of Hebrews. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than anything else that this world could offer you. Anchor your soul to Jesus. And if you are drifting, just simply come back to God and say, God, help me to remain faithful to you. God, help me not to begin to to detach myself from the anchor of Jesus and to attach myself to all these other things that the world tells us to anchor our lives to. But God, help me to anchor myself to Jesus because he's a, firm, he's a firm anchor. And as I secure my life to him, then I can walk through life with peace and with hope in the midst of storms. You know, sometimes it may seem tempting to go back to your old life. It may seem tempting for you to say, in this area of my life, I, I'm, I'm just going to go back to my old habits And perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and saying, no, stay the course. Stay the course. Continue to press into Jesus. Don't begin to drift. And there are areas of our lives, and it's different for each one of us, where we are tempted to drift instead of anchoring ourselves in the truth of God's word. And so drift occurs because of neglect, and drift occurs in isolation. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 I've referenced this already, but the writer of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers, brothers in the Lord, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but, here's the antidote. Here's one of the things that will keep us anchored. Encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. And if we choose to 
begin to just go it alone, if we don't find encouragement in, in those around us. And in fact, he says, do this daily. Who is encouraging you in your faith today? Who is helping you in your faith tomorrow and, and just encouraging you to stay anchored to Jesus? Who is perhaps speaking truth into your life where, where there's an area where you are deceived by sin's deceitfulness and you're beginning to become hardened toward the things of God in that area of your life? Who is it that is speaking truth to you and saying, listen, don't allow sin to get a foothold here. Don't become hardened in your walk with God. Stay soft to the things of God. Walk away from that temptation. Be be strong when you're tempted. We all need people in our lives on a daily basis who encourage us so that we're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And as we become hardened, we don't hear God's voices clearly, and then we begin to drift from a faith that's anchored in Jesus. I am so thankful for warnings. And as much as sometimes my flesh doesn't like it, when God just speaks truth to me about an area of my life, I am so thankful that God loves us enough that he will point out where we are beginning to drift. I am so thankful for a church family where the design that God has for us is that we would encourage one another. That when we are tempted to drift, that we have people around us who care for us enough to speak truth into our lives and to say, no, don't drift, persevere, stay strong. Glad Tidings Church family, this is part of why we gather. This is part of why I hope you're connected outside of an hour and a half on a Sunday morning with, with your church family. It's because you would be encouraged daily and that you would not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness and that you would be strong in your walk with God, that you would enjoy the blessing, that you would know the warnings that allow you to avoid pain and suffering in your life unnecessarily. And so this morning as we come to um, a point of just responding to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask Pastor Yeshua to come back, and and I ask that we would stand. We're going to pray. I'm just going to ask the Lord to... um, through his word this morning, that whatever it is he's speaking to our hearts, that we would be open to responding to him. And I want to encourage you today, if if you're realizing that in some area of your life that drift is happening, that you would simply today take a moment as we worship before we go, that you would just take responsibility for your faith. That you would simply face perhaps a truth that is difficult to face. And you would come to God and say, God, would you help me? Would you help me, God? I I don't want to drift. I want to stay anchored to Jesus. And I'm realizing that I've begun to anchor parts of my life to other things other than Jesus. And perhaps our approach has been, I just want to feel good. But what you really need is you need to get better. You need to be set free in some areas of your life. You need to walk in wholeness and freedom where where sin has begun to get a foothold in our lives and we never intend for that, do we? And so the writer of Hebrews brings a warning and it's for our good today. As we worship just for a moment before we pray, would you listen to the voice of the Spirit? Would you ask him, invite him to speak to you And if he's beginning to just speak to you about an area of drift, would you just simply say, I need you. God, I need you.